This is the Protect Help Give Show with J.M. Ryerson. Hey, what is happening, you guys? Welcome back to Protect, Help, Give podcast. I'm excited to talk to this guest because what he talks about, I am very passionate about. Peter George is a public speaking coach and trainer specializing in helping executives, attorneys, entrepreneurs, and professional speakers be calm, confident, and credible every time they speak in public. Throughout his childhood, Peter dealt with a lisp and a stutter. Consequently, he grew up shy and introverted, avoiding communicating with others as much as possible. When he got into the business world, he quickly realized that his lack of presentation skills kept him at a disadvantage. After seeking help, he now credits his public speaking coaches for much of his business success. Over the past 17 years, Peter has helped professionals from around the corner to those in Fortune 100 companies develop into speakers who understand how to craft and deliver presentations. Well, brother, we're going to be doing some public speaking. Let's talk about it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, man, I couldn't be better. It's, uh, it's a great day to be here. And you talk about something I'm so passionate about, which is speaking, really getting out there, getting your message heard. So tell me your journey, just a little bit of how you said you felt it was holding you back and then you sought help. So what did that look like for you? Well, as you read in my bio, I was growing up as a kid with a lisp and a stutter in Providence, Rhode Island. And when you have a lisp and a stutter as a nine-year-old, you learn to do two things fairly well. One is shut up. And the other has become fairly proficient in sports. And I played baseball, football, and hockey. So I was playing sports all year long because if you were good in sports, you didn't get picked on. That stayed with me even as the lisp and the stutter started to subside. And when I got into the business world, I realized that I was going to have to actually communicate with people. And I went and got help for that. And then when I started my own company, I found out how essential it was to communicate with people. And that actually got me out speaking. I was asked to speak quite a bit because of the success my company had and my company became more successful because of the speaking I was doing. And that brought me to several countries, different sized crowds, up to about 2000 people at the time. And I realized how essential it is. You can't be that proverbial man on an island and, and expect to succeed. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear when people take their weakness, quote unquote, and it becomes a strength, which is clearly what it sounds like. You felt this was a weakness, so you addressed that, and it became something that you do professionally. This is literally what you're helping people achieve today. So what are some of those things you learned to overcome some of those, the fear that you had of public speaking? Because that is a great one for people. Some people would rather die than public speak, which to me is crazy, but it's a real thing for some people. So let's dive into some of those things that you learned of how to overcome those fears. Yeah, it's it's a true fear. It certainly is. I'm not sure when people say they'd rather die. If you're in a, a metal tube 30,000 feet in the air and it's suddenly falling, you'd rather be on stage or in front of a, con- a conference room. However, with that said, on an everyday existence, it is a fear and it does hold us back. And the way I dealt with it was once I was getting help, being trained for public speaking and becoming more effective at it. Was the nervousness still there? Sure. But after a while, you learn that what's the worst that can happen. And what we also do, and I found that I was doing this, was I put all the onus on me. Now, it's on me to go be prepared and share the right information 
in a way that connects with the audience. But if I put the focus on me with what if I screw up? What if I make a mistake? What if I forget what I'm going to say? What if they don't like me? That's all speaker centric. And if we make it about the audience, we, before we ever start to design our presentation, we learn who they are, what they want and need to know, and how I can provide that. Now it's audience centric. And I'm just there to serve them at this point. So what is the worst that could happen? And it's easy for me to say now, but it was a learning process. And really, JM, when you think about it, we, we put the worst ideas in what we believe an audience is. They're going to judge me. How often do you sit in an audience or myself or your listeners or any of us and sit there to judge people? We want speakers to be good at any level. We didn't go to college and say, I hope this professor is horrible for the next three months. We wanted that professor to be entertaining and get their point across. Same thing with any speaker. So the audience is really there to help us and encourage us. We look at it that way and make it audience centric. It's a whole new light. Yeah. And I, I, that's great advice. In fact, I always say it's not about you, especially when you go up there. So, and it is interesting when you go on stage, I've never gone to a concert or to a, a speaking engagement and said, man, I really hope they suck today. I mean, I've never done that. So no. to your point, why would we do that? But let's talk about learning about your audience. Is it as simple as just doing a little bit of research in advance? Is it as simple as meeting with this audience prior to you speaking? Let's, how, how do you go about preparing for that so that you can make it audience-centric and not about it yourself? I, in particular, and this is what I teach my clients as well, I have two pages of characteristics. It could be demographics. It could be socioeconomics, whatever. I also speak, I look at those and say, what pertains to this particular speaking opportunity? Whoever hired me or asked me to speak, I interview them as well. I find out as much as I can about why I'm, I'm going to speak. And like I said before, what they want and need to know. A lot of us present what we believe they need to know, but there's also what they want to know. And you have to appeal to both of those. So I look at both of those and now figure out what point I'm going to make that addresses those wants and needs. Then when you have that, it's much easier to put together a presentation that resonates. And when you know it's going to resonate, it's much easier to get up there and do it. So some of the advice that you hear can be good and some not so good, but let's just start with some basics because really public speaking we're doing it now. You're doing it every single day when you talk to a human being. So contextually, whether it's 2,000 people or two people, who cares? It's all public speaking. Right. But what is some of the best ways to start a conversation? Is it to smile? Is it to tell a story? Is it to laugh? What are some of the things that you learned that just really put the speaker at ease and appeal to that audience that you're speaking to? Well, again, making it all about them and how do you do that? One is ask questions. When you ask questions, you automatically have that other person or those people, whether it's one, 10 or a thousand engaged because their mind's thinking. So even when we're presenting, we might not have time for them to answer. It might not be practical for them to answer, but if we give them time by pausing 
and let that question roll around in their head a little bit, they'll answer it. And once they, they answer it, we're in a conversation. We have a conversation going. It's just maybe just one voice being heard. Another is use the word you. There's the old saying that the greatest sound to any individual is their own name. Second to that is the word you. And again, addressing the audience, engaging that audience. Little things like saying, write this down, keeps them engaged. Remember this. I often tell my clients on the first day, if I get go out and get hit by a bus after this first session, always remember this one thing. And that ends up being, it's all about the audience. Those things become a little interactive. It's the way we converse with people. And probably the biggest point I could make as far as that engagement goes is to pause. Let people think. Give them time to think. Don't just show up and throw up, which a lot of us tend to do. No, it's it's true. And actually, as we're even talking, there's been a couple points where you've paused. I think you might almost be done, but in a interview format, I'm like, well, that's why I get to see your face. So <laughs> let's talk about body language. One of the things you say is, what is your body language saying behind your back? And clearly, especially with speaking, I utilize a lot of body language to prove a point, to really articulate. So what is some of the body language saying behind your back? What does that mean exactly? What I mean by that is anytime we're presenting, there are three conversations being held. There's the message we're giving, what we're saying, and what our body's saying. And those messages have to be in perfect alignment because when we're not, the audience gets confused. And when they get confused, we both lose. We lose the connectivity with them and they lose out on the information they would get. So the body language, and I say it's talking behind your back. If you're not sure what's going on with it, then it might be delivering a different message than you want it to. Case in point. If we get out on stage or in standing up in a conference room and we do what a lot of people do, which is stand on one hip, they cock on one hip. We all know what I'm talking about. We stand over there and we say, well, that's more comfortable. No, it's not. And we know it's not because what do we do 30 seconds later? Switch to the other hip. And when we switch to the hip, our shoulders dip, our head cocks the other way. It's not a confident look. And if you think, JM, if you and I were standing two feet apart having a conversation and I'm standing on one hip and 30 seconds later, switching to the other hip, and while you're talking 30 seconds later, again, switch to the other one, how interested do you think I am in what you're saying? It's just not a good look. It's more comfortable mentally. We don't often want to give a look of being overconfident. So what do we do? We soften it. And what do people perceive that as? Not confident. So when we go out and speak, if we stand on one hip, it's not a confident look. And if people don't have confidence in us, they probably don't have confidence in the information we're sharing. So stand up straight. Most of what our moms told us was right. Stand up straight, look people in the eye, firm handshake, all those things. They, she was right. So that's one, just having that confident look about you not pacing. Uh, I'm like you. I use my hands a lot. My heritage is Italian. My last name is actually Giosa, changed to George a long time ago. 
But so you brought up an Italian household. We kid around that you tie our hands together. We can't talk. And there's a lot of people who say things like that because we're meant to use our hands. Our hands mean a lot. And when you hear things, no, don't use your hands. Just leave your hands down by your side. That's not helping you convey a message. Use your hands as you normally would within reason. I'm not one of those people. Every time you say this, you've got to do this. And every time you say that, you've got to do this. Let your body flow as it normally would within reason. So as we're on stage, because again, there's sometimes there's a podium, sometimes there's a prop. And one of the things you don't want is for that prop to own you. Can you talk about how you really work with whether it be a podium or your prop or a PowerPoint so that they are hearing you and not just whatever you're showing on stage? Because I know it can become overwhelming, especially if somebody's putting up a PowerPoint and everything they're about to say is already on the PowerPoint. There's really no reason for me to be on stage. So is I asked several questions in that, but maybe you can address that because I see this often, especially when people try to prepare for that 45 minute speech, man, I'm going to, I have all this information, but how do we not get overwhelmed by that prop? First of all, I don't believe there's any such thing as a PowerPoint presentation. There's PowerPoint application, but there's no presentation. There's nothing but slides. And we govern those. Unfortunately, a lot of people will say, oh, I was just asked to give a PowerPoint presentation. And they go right to their slides and they base their presentation on the slides that they either can get off the internet or they already have in their computer, as opposed to basing their presentation on the audience and what they need to deliver and how they're going to serve that audience. So first of all, no such thing as PowerPoint presentation in my mind. And I know I'm being nitpicky, but I like to teach it that way. And the other is you're right. So many people use it as a poor man's teleprompter. They're not going to rehearse. They're not going to practice. They're just going to put the words up there. And like you said, if the words are up there, what do they need me for? And that becomes the meeting they could have just emailed to us. And they literally could have. And the problem when people put all the words up on a slide is if I do that, you can read silently faster than I can read aloud. So you get to the bottom of that slide and you're just thinking, just hit the button, get to the next slide. And I'm only halfway through. This is not the way to engage an audience. And we all know this. We all get terribly bored with that. And we often feel bad for the person doing the presentation. We know they're nervous. We know uh, why they did this. But what do we do? We go out and do the same thing, even though we know how our audience will feel. So for your audience, try to stay away from doing that. Graphics, much better. And the number of graphics really depends on the presentation, but graphics are much better in in slides. One of the things you mentioned was preparation. And I know we talked about learning who your audience is, but you did say, look, some people use it as they didn't practice. So talk to me about before you're going to go up, how much time are you committing to practicing this speech? Is it is it you have it word for word and it is dialed into your brain? Or do you have bullet points that you're saying, I'm going to touch on these key topics, mix in a story or two, and let it kind of go from there. So what's in terms of preparation, what's kind of the best advice you can give? The way I do it, I use a particular template to create a presentation. 
and it walks you right through it. But me in particular, I'll write it out word for word. And let's face it, the way we write is not the way we talk. It just isn't. I, I do not use uh, two words when I can use one. If I can use a contraction, it's not cannot, it's can't. Yet I'll write cannot. So after I then read it aloud, I'll stop making the adjustments. But what I want to boil it down to are just those few bullet points. The, the original draft gives me an idea of what I want to say, and I can refer to that as I'm rehearsing, but I want to get it down to just a few bullet points so I can memorize my opening, which is a line or two, my closing, which is a line or two, and what three topics I'm going to speak about in between. And then I rehearse, rehearse, and rehearse. So what's interesting to me is you said three topics, and you said very specifically three. Tell me why, because I'm... I have a weird thing with threes. I, if you ever read any of my blogs, everything has three. Why did you say that? Was that, can you have a, a speech with five topics or do you, did you mean that very deliberately? I'm going to speak on three. Never say never or never say always, but uh, yeah, it, threes matter. The human brain thinks in threes. If we look at two rocks side by side, it looks odd. Painters would normally not make that in a, into a landscape painting. They'd add a third rock. We, we like odd numbers. Our brain reacts to odd numbers and specifically threes. So I tell my clients, if you do have four, yeah, okay, that might be okay. But without it being too awkward, if you can fit that fourth topic into one of the other three where it becomes three again, I'd rather see that because your audience will just resonate to that three much more effectively than they will to that four. And let's face it, it's easier for us to hold on to three than it is four, five, six, or seven. Oh, it's a huge point. And, and again, I've, I've tried to write about what the power of three is. I don't know the neuroscience behind it. I just know that three amigos, three musketeers, three stooges, we remember three, but you we say- We remember five. threes. <laughs> threes are big. Um, you talk about confidence is the key to realizing your full potential. And I love that. And I agree with it wholeheartedly. What are some of the ways to really increase our confidence? Maybe it's specific to public speaking. Maybe it's uh, you, you're an uh, entrepreneur. You've clearly done well in your business you know, profession. How do you develop that confidence? Because it's easy for us to say that. But what are some tangible steps for people to do so that they can increase their own confidence so they can feel more ready and prepared and confident to get on stage, to go talk to clients. Do you have some steps that you really say, you know what, you want to increase that confidence? Here's some ways to do it. Yeah. Outside of public speaking, I think this is very broad. Confidence comes from competence. When we become more competent, not an expert, not the best in the world, but when we become more competent in something, we get more confidence in doing it. And one of the reasons people are less likely to do things, whether it's public speaking, paint, whatever it might be, express themselves in any way, it's because they don't have that competence. Now, a lot of people say, well, you got to keep failing before you can get better at something. And that's true. But I don't like to fail just for the sake of failing and say, well, that's okay. I'm just going to get better eventually. I like to manage failure. And if I can learn from failure, well, education costs something. Going to college costs money, going to seminars costs money, whatever it be, education costs. Sometimes the cost is failure. 
But if you can learn from that and manage failure and become more confident, I truly believe you get confident from that competency. I'll tell you what I absolutely love about working with my clients is at some point I see a bulb go off over their head. And it's not an idea they have. It's they just became confident in what they're doing. And that's because they just got, they realize they're better at it. They understand it. They have a, a, a grasp on it and they now can become better. So whatever it might be, if people can learn to learn that craft, learn that uh, whatever they might be doing and become better at it, they could be want to boat, but not want to go. They're afraid to go out on a boat in the ocean on their own. When you become better at it and you have more confidence in yourself, we're much likely to go out and do things in life that we other might, otherwise might have left undone up till the day we die. So I usually ask the question, how do you deal with failure? But you mentioned something. You're like, oh, look, I don't want to fail just to go fail, just to say I'm going to get better at it. My direct question is because you said, what's the worst that could happen? And I think most people like a comedian going up there and not having people laugh that would be the biggest fear in public speaking, I think. I don't know. I don't have it, but it's really an interesting subject matter for me. But do you have a specific time that you remembered where you were just like, man, that speech, talk, whatever, it bombed. Do you have any examples? So we can get to the worst that ever happened to Peter so that he could get to the level that he's at today. Do you have an example of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. And I'm laughing because every time I think of it, I laugh. I'm not going to get into specifics, but you'll get the idea. One of the things you want to do when you go out on stage, especially, is know how you're going to open it. Not only have you worked on it and you believe that's how I'm going to get the audience, that's how I'm going to hook them, grab them, get their attention, get, resonate with them, but it also lets you be more at ease because you know what you're going to do. And I tell my clients and myself, your brain is going to betray you. As much as you work on that, your brain is going to tell you at the last second, and this might have happened to UJM over the years, your brain's going to go, no, do this instead, because it's trying to protect you. It's going to come up with a better idea in the last tenth of a second. Well, I listened to my brain once, and this was in front of 750 corporate middle managers, where I went and spoke twice a year, uh, every two years. And this was about my third time speaking. And I have this favorite joke of mine, which is very sophomoric. It's not dirty, but it's off color. It's just bad. It's, it's not funny at all. My wife says to me, quit telling people that joke. It, it betrays you. Still my favorite joke, always will be. And for some reason, even though I tell my clients never open with a joke, I walked out and thought, this is the perfect opportunity to tell this joke. And I did. And what happened was, if it's a bad joke, you'll get, oh, I didn't even get that. That would have been awesome. Dead silent. And I looked at the person who brought me in from this corporation every two years. I looked at him in the audience and he was just staring up at me like, what possessed you? My wife happened to be there that year. And I looked at her and her head was down in her hands. So. Truthfully, I then walked over to the lectern, took a glass, my glass of water, took a few sips and thought to myself, it can only go up from here. I had 50 minutes left. It could only get better. The, 
here's the great thing that I've learned, maybe because now I'm in my early 60s and, you, and it's the wisdom, maybe it's my self-defense, I don't know. But those horror stories, when they happen, become our cherished stories later in life. So what is the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is you come up with a great story later on. Love the advice. I really do. I'm laughing because I can just see you in this moment where it is dead silent and you're like, okay, we're going to take a pause here. (laughs) And maybe what I would be curious on is, do you utilize any self-deprecation when speaking? Is that something, because to me, I'd be like, well, that one didn't go well. (laughs) You know, do you, is that something that you employ when you're up on stage as well? Yes, sparingly, but yes. When I think it's appropriate, yes. I see some people do it where I think they go too far and they they actually start chopping away at their credibility. It's almost like, wow, you're, you, I thought it was self-deprecating at the beginning. Now you just don't like yourself and don't have confidence or whatever it might be. But I think some of it is always good. I just, uh, I'm just picturing you still on stage, taking that break, getting a glass of water, recovering or getting refocused on what you're going to do. So I, I love it because it puts me right in that room. And that's what a great storyteller does. You put them in the room, in that position, in that situation to feel like they're in it. And uh, so I appreciate that. So you say public speaking isn't a soft skill. It's your power skill. Can you tell me exactly how I, I, I agree with you? How do we continue to hone that skill to make it our power skill so that, uh, you know, soft skills, maybe there's books we can read, maybe there's therapy we can do, whatever. But when it comes to this as a power skill, what are ways that we can truly improve our craft? One, learn to do it well, how to do it. It's not just getting up and, and talking and showing up and throwing up. As I, as I like to tell people, the Japanese have a wor- word for people who say, I know what I want to say. I know the words. And I have the guts to get up in front of people. Do you know what that word is, Jam? I, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm thinking of Japanese words are going through my head real fast, but no. Karaoke. <laughs> right? You know the words and you got the guts to get up there. Unless your audience has had three shots and a beer, you probably suck. So if you're just going to wing it, a presentation, it's your audience should have three shots and a beer before you just decide to do that. That being the case that they don't, well, then you have to be prepared when you can get better at it and learn how to formulate a presentation that it's not just speaking. It's not just talking. I believe public speaking is truthfully learning to resonate with your audience, learning to convey a message that will be internalized and digested by an audience. That's public speaking. It's not talking. The mere fact of talking. So when they go out and learn how to do it well, either through books or organizations like Toastmasters or coaches like myself, when they learn how to do that well and apply it, then that leads them to having a power skill instead of that soft skill. That becomes so important in their careers and their opportunities. They'll see things they never had the opportunity to see before as far as opportunities go. So if I'm sitting here listening and let's say I can't afford to hire you as a coach at this time, are there, I know you're writing your own book. You're, you're working on that yourself. Are there any 
books off the top of your head that say, you know, this really did help shape my thinking, or is it finding an organization like Toastmasters? And, and, and if so, I think I have a follow-up question to that, but are there a couple resources specific to books that maybe people can start to dive into that you can think of? I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but Mike Aker, Mike Acker, actually, uh, has a book about getting over the fear of public speaking. And that's all the book is about. It's not about other parts of public speaking, like the one I'm creating. But there are others out there for that. Craig Valentine, a bunch of people have them. Find a book that suits you. Go online. Look at those resources. There's a lot of training online. Find something that works for you. We all have our own take on the best way to do this. And we're all right. We're all right. Because there's a thousand and seven different ways to connect with people. So find what suits you well and learn it well. And then maybe go out and practice with people. Go to the chamber and deliver presentations. If you're in Rotary or any other organization like that, you get to speak, deliver presentations, find ways to speak in front of people. And some people will say, well, that's all you got to do. Just keep talking. Well, I can keep banging away at the piano. I'm never going to become a pianist till I'm taught. So it's not just getting up and speaking. It's learning to do it well. And that becomes so powerful because let's face it, you're in the top one, two, maybe 3% in the world. If you become a trained speaker, even if the only place you speak is in the boardroom. So do you ask for feedback? That was my follow-up question from your audience, because we all want to resonate, whether it's a client, whether it's uh, an audience we're speaking to, are you constantly receiving, asking for feedback on how did I do what hit with you so that, you know, not just because you could see the nonverbals, but rather you, they told you, you know what, Peter, you killed it here or, Ooh, didn't understand that. Do you ask for that constantly? Always, always. And, and I know if I hear these two words, I failed, maybe most likely failed. Those two words are great job. Mm. If someone comes up to me now, it's different. If I'm passing you in a, in a conference room and you lean back in your chair, as I'm walking behind you and you say, great job, that's all you have time for. I'll take that at face value. But if we have a couple of minutes to speak and I say, hey, how did I do? And you say, great job. If all you have to offer, if all I gave you for you to give me feedback was great job, then I missed my mark. I didn't provide you with a takeaway. I didn't provide you with new information or a call to action or whatever it may be. And I look at it this way, JM. If they're talking about me, I didn't do a good job. You're passionate. Uh, you make it look so easy, all these different things. Great job. Oh, I wish I could speak like that. If they make it about me, I didn't do my job. If they start saying, here's what I learned, here's what I'm doing next. Here's what I, well, that's what I was there for is to provide for them. If they're speaking about themselves, I know I did a good job. Cause let's face it. Half the time we think we did a fantastic job when we didn't. And other times we beat ourselves up when we actually did a, a real good job. You know, it's like taking an exam. You think you ace it, you end up with a C. You think you get a C, you end up with an A. Same idea. I want to know from the people I went to serve if they were served well or not. 
That makes sense. Tangible content that they said, man, this is what I learned. I want to explore this further. That's, that is great. Are, are there, are there any speakers that you can think of that you would say, you know what, if you really want to watch somebody deliver, do you have some of your favorites that you've seen throughout the years, alive or dead today that we could go back and say, man, you see this, this, this really hits the mark. Is there anybody specific that comes to the top of your head? Yeah, and a lot of them are going to be the people a lot of us think about. I'm a fan of Winston Churchill, and I think that's because he also had a lisp and a stutter, so I always gravitated towards towards him. Martin Luther King, John Kennedy, uh, Reagan, all these different people were excellent. Uh, There's a gentleman by the name of Bob Berg. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob. Bob Berg, you can go to bobberg.com or berg.com. Uh, Bob's an excellent speaker, current day speaker. There's a ton of them out there. Uh, Trying to think of others offhand. A lot of the politicians, of course, but politicians politicians also give us a lot of bad habits. So I don't believe in taking them at face value, but just learning from them and what they've done. Uh, I don't. It's funny over the years people say, "Who's your favorite speaker?" And other than Churchill, and I think for that particular reason that I stated. I never have them. I look at all different people and say, what can I take from that? And sometimes, truthfully, I critique in my head and say, what could he or she done better? Or if I were in that position, what would I have done? It's not to criticize them, but it's a learning process for myself. I think one of the best ways to learn is to teach, even when we're not actually conversing with that person. Yeah, I have not actually watched Bob speak. I've read four of his books. So I, I definitely, I, I got to go see what he's talking about, but uh, no, I, I agree with you. Some of the politicians, not necessarily the greatest habits for us to learn. So brother, what are you working on? I know you said you, everyone's got a book inside them and you are currently getting another one out for yourself. So what, what can we look forward to what Peter's got coming up in the, in the near future? Well, it's going to be a book and the working title will not be the title, but the working title is it's all about the audience because that's what I base everything on. And as long as I can keep that in my head while I'm writing it, I can write it for my audience and help them remember that it's about their audience. So it covers the three aspects that I talked about before about public speaking, creating the message. And I use a template called AMPD, A-M-P-D, for that audience, message, presentation, and delivery. Creating a message, using your voice and your body language. And then all the ancillaries, rehearsing, great ways to rehearse, how to help yourself, especially with today's technology. We used to say, look into a mirror, which was terrible terrible advice, but it's what we had in the day. But you can't critique yourself and concentrate on your delivery, what you're saying at the same time. So now we have phones. Prop up the phone, hit record. And what I tell my clients is, you, you review it three times. First time facing down, so you hear just the, the audio. Listen if you're pausing or not. If you're speaking too quickly, which generally is you're just not pausing. If you're using fillers, whatever it might be. Write down what you want to improve. Review it again, this time without the sound, and just watch it. What's your body language saying? Can you tell where you are in your presentation by just watching your body language? You should be able to. And then the third time, as you normally would. So it brings you through all those things. 
creating stories. It's comprehensive. Oh, it's unique, man. That's I've never thought of doing it that way. Just literally listen to it, which that might be the least favorite. I always, whenever I hear myself on an answer machine, I'm like, ooh, or, a, or not an answer machine more, but a voice. <laughs> is that how I really sound? Uh, but no, that's an interesting way to do it. If there's, Peter, is there anything I should have known to ask? I just didn't know enough that you want to leave the audience with before we kind of wrap up. No, I think we covered for your audience's sake, everything. But if they do take nothing else away, just that one thing, it's always about the audience. And if they remember that, then life becomes a lot easier. You learn what to do as far as creating a presentation, and you take that weight off your own shoulders. That's my biggest point, always. It's always about the audience. Give yourself a break. It'll be interesting to see what your book title ends up being because it's a, I like it. It's a pretty darn good one. Peter, where can our audience connect with you online if they wanted to learn more about you, about your method, about how they can be better as a public speaker in general? PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. Can't get much more literal than that. PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. As a matter of fact, if they go there and just click on resources, they can download for free uh, 50 plus public speaking tips. Awesome. You guys, you heard it. You can go take advantage of it. Peter clearly is a gifted speaker. You had a chance to hear him go through it and to go from, again, not speaking early in life to being a professional. It's truly, a, it is awesome. I love to hear those stories. Peter, I sure appreciate you being here, man. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. You guys, I hope you took this down. I hope you're taking the notes because we literally speak all the time. We are trying to communicate our message, whether you're with a client, whether you're with your spouse, you're with your, your kids. We are constantly communicating, and he gave you so many good takeaways that you can apply today. Uh, until next week, you guys, continue getting better every day. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Our goal is to help a lot of people create life-changing wealth and get better every day. For more information or comments, please reach me at jryerson at appreciationfinancial.com or connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Let's Go Win 365. Keep growing and we'll see you next time. This is the Protect Help Give Show with J.M. Ryerson. 